Good morning, friends. It is uh, Rabbi Durbin here with a priest and a rabbi, uh, minus the priest this morning. Um, but it is, uh, it is with great pleasure that I have with us Rabbi Eric Linder out of Athens, Georgia, uh, a very dear and close friend of mine uh, and superb colleague uh, who's going to join us today as we kind of look at the elephant in the room, as we explore the issues of uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19, how that has affected our communities, and, and, and really what the aim and the hope uh, for the future is as we reacclimate, hopefully in the next few weeks, if not um, a few, few months, um, uh, back into society. And we're going to start um, by uh, kind of unbreaking, breaking apart in terms of the passion and the desire for what we're actually doing right now, uh, which is the interfaith um, aspect of it. Um, so it is with great pleasure that I welcome uh, Rabbi Eric Winter. Good morning, everyone. Um, Good morning. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, have this conversation with my dear friend and colleague. And uh, I, I think in, in some ways, this has brought people who may be physically distanced in different cities and things like that closer together. And we're going to, we're going to talk about how our communities have uh, proceeded with ritual things with communal um, programs, how we, how we are adapting to this new reality and what we look forward to and what, and what we're also uh, apprehensive of uh, once we uh, gr uh, gradually get back uh, to no some sense of normalcy. So please join us and uh, we hope you find it interesting and stimulating and uh, you know, any, any comments, um, you know, email us, like us on Facebook, um, listen, and uh, we will catch you on the flip side. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the program hosts and their guests and are not necessarily those of WSTU, St. Mary's Episcopal Church, and Temple Bait Hyam. Products that may be mentioned are not necessarily intended as an endorsement. Any reproduction or retransmission of this broadcast is strictly prohibited. And now, WSTU presents a priest and a rabbi. Call in with questions and comments at 220-9788, 220-WSTU. Now, here's your host. Good morning, Stewart, Florida. It is, well, today is a little bit different. It's not so much a priest and a rabbi uh, for Father Anderson. Yeah, I, I can hear, and I, I think I'm here. <laughs> yes, we hear you, Eric. If you can uh, start off the show for us until uh, Rabbi Durbin gets back, that'd be great. Sure. So uh, my name is Rabbi Eric Linder. I'm a rabbi in Athens, Georgia, um, for Reform Synagogue there, the same denomination that uh, Rabbi Durbin belongs to. Uh, we met four or five years ago working at a summer camp, uh, uh, Camp Coleman, um, which is part of our denomination. And uh, I, I became close friends with him right away. And uh, interestingly, I've, I had known his wife since she was a teenager. She was a camper at the camp where I was a counselor. And so uh, it's wonderful now that we're colleagues and I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to uh, guest with him on this morning's show. So uh, I, I, I do apologize. Um, Obviously, my, my, my internet is not as sound and solid as uh, Rabbi Linder, yours is. Well, we're glad you're back. 
But it is uh, it is wonderful. It is wonderful, and I I, I, I kind of missed that opening a little bit. But uh, just to say, uh, Rabbi Linder um, uh, has a very special place in, uh, in 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 my heart, and certainly my family's heart. Um, I I think uh, I think you 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 were my my wife's uh, boss at some point. We worked together at Camp Coleman after we both became adults, and I'm putting adults in air quotes where I'm sitting. But yes. <laughs> Air quotes, love it. I love it. So, um, um, so that Rabbi Linder uh, was trained as a rabbi at Hebrew Union College in uh, New York City. And um, before you were in Athens, Georgia, you were in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Correct. Yep, for six years. For six years. So, what 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 was that like? You know, that transition from being in the Midwest to now being in the South. To you know, how 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 is that? How has that been for you? It's been great. And um, I've been very, you know, I don't know if the word is lucky, blessed, or what the word is, but um, my experience in Omaha for the congregation there, Temple Israel, I I, I say that it was the perfect first job for me. I I was well mentored. I was well trained. It was a bit of a larger congregation to where I am now. Where I am now is about 175 families. There was 800. So I was the associate rabbi and there was a senior rabbi. who did um, my wife's, who performed my wife and I's wedding five years ago. Um, And uh, it it is a transition to go from kind of being the, not not the head rabbi basically, to going to a place where the only full-time employees are here in Athens are me and our administrator. And so it is a a different feel, Um, but I've been in Athens for seven years. It has become a wonderful home and Interestingly, and Rabbi Durbin knows this, um, my wife and I are moving to a new home today um, within Athens. Um, and uh, we, we don't plan on leaving here anytime soon. We're, we're both, we both love the city and the community here. Oh, well, so, so just, just, just um, as, we, as we unpack this a little bit in terms of you know, the work that you've done both in Omaha and say in, 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 in Athens, and I should kind of give the postscript that um, uh, Rabbi Linder, a couple of years ago, um, had for himself uh, a podcast. I believe you were you were with an Episcopal priest, uh, Presbyterian, Presbyterian. So you know, it, it, and it was funny um, uh, as Rabbi Linder mentioned that uh, you know for the last few summers, the last uh, almost five summers, we've we've both been on faculty at Camp Coleman in Cleveland, Georgia, Northern Georgia, just north of Atlanta. Um, uh, and we've developed this just awesome, awesome friendship and and just great relationship. And um, at, at 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 I think it was the first summer or second summer that you had said, "Oh, I started a podcast. You want to listen to it?" So I, uh, I I got in the car, and it's a it's a very long drive from from uh, Cleveland, Georgia, down to Palm City, Florida. Uh, and I, and I think we listened to all of them, um, and it was actually really inspiring, uh, and just uh, you know very thought provoking and just very moving and very entertaining. Uh, and I remember looking at my wife and saying, you know, this is awesome. I'd love to do something like this. And uh, lo and behold, a couple of years later, met uh, Father Anderson and your podcast and the way that you approached interfaith dialogue um, uh, just had a, a tremendous and profound impact on me. So, you know, I, I, I'd like to say that, you know, from my perspective, you know, this radio program of A Priest and a Rabbi. Um, uh, really has as uh, the fruit of it has come from 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 your brain, which has just been really amazing. Well, that's really touching to hear. And and 
you may have put us over over the line of having ten listeners by you you and uh, you listening to those on the way home. <laughs> so so with 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 your experience both in Omaha and 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 Athens, uh, you know what 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 what's your passion in terms of looking at interfaith dialogue? I mean, you know, has that always been a passion of yours? Has it been something that you've developed and worked over time? You know, how does it work in the Midwest, but more impactfully, how, how, do, you, how do you interact with it in, in, say, you know, a small, very college town like Athens, Georgia? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, it, so in Omaha, uh, Omaha, my, the synagogue in Omaha, Temple Israel, started along with two other faith organizations, um, an Islamic community, a Muslim community, excuse me, and a um, uh, Episcopalian community um, started what is called the Tri-Faith Initiative. Trifaith.org is the website. It's gotten some national attention. It actually was on a segment of The Daily Show with Trevor Noah not too long ago. And the idea behind that was the Abrahamic faiths, um, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, to co-locate their, uh, their communities, their houses of worship together. So it's not, if you picture it, 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 or trying to picture it, think of it like a college campus where you know there's one building is the temple and one building is the mosque and one building is the church. So they're not all sharing the exact same building. They have their own buildings, but it's on the same, the, the whole area was developed at, to be one unity. And there is what they call the fourth building, which is where interfaith programming happens when a speaker comes, um, it's in that building. And so this is all to say, a long-winded way to say that um, from the very beginning of my rabbinate, uh, 13 years ago, uh, this became, it was a priority, but in, in very real terms, it became a priority because it was a priority for the congregation. And I worked for the congregation and was delighted um, to be a small part of that. Hmm. One one thing, and, and, I, and Matt, I think you and I have talked about this before, that you know you talk about what my passion is with regard to interfaith dialogue. Mm. It, in some ways it's counterintuitive, but it, it's always bothered me when people of different faiths get together and say, we all believe in the same God, we're all children of God. And uh, yes, that's true. And, and, and there's mm -hmm. so much beauty in the idea that we're all, you know, there's a piece of God within all of us. God created us in God's divine image. But for me, the joy, and then I'll stop talking. The joy of interfaith dialogue is in finding the specificities that belong to your or her religion or denomination that don't belong to mine. And that's exactly what makes it interesting and fascinating. And for me, where some of the holiness comes from is in the differences, instead of just kind of um, minimizing those differences to say we're all the same. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, do you guys do, you guys do, do um, um, interfaith? services or, or like an interfaith i mean we do an interfaith thanksgiving service that we've done for the last few years yeah yeah and so it started in in omaha um and again this was a tradition that i just i i got to participate in there was a tradition of an interfaith thanksgiving service with about eight or nine local churches and the synagogue and then after being in athens a few years i i started becoming close with a, a few different um interfaith clergy and I asked them if they would want to do something similar and we did and then very shortly after that uh, we started um, what we call the ICPGA it's a mouthful 
uh, Interfaith Clergy Partnership of Greater Athens. And every month for the past three years, we've had some sort of program. Sometimes it's someone talking to us. So the mayors talk to us, the chief of police. Sometimes mm. it's, it's our own members talking to each other and we'll put what we call like um, table questions. Um, some of it's very practical, like what do you do for self-care? And some of it's like, how does your denomination deal with death? So, mm. you know, kind of running that gamut. One, one of my most um, powerful experiences with this was after the shooting, the horrible shooting at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. We, like many other congregations, had a, had a vigil service. And because of those relationships that we made, um, there were over 50 clergy at that service. And many oh, of wow. them participated and read. I mean, it, it, was, it was unbelievable. And wow. so, yeah, I mean, so for me, the interfaith, interfaith relationships are, are good. I mean, of course they're good, but they not only help me personally kind of understand religions and gain a stronger sense of my own Judaism, but on a very practical level, I think they can help people um, deal with differences better in, in a way that's peaceful and loving and, you know, all the things that we want to foster. Oh, well, I mean, as this, as this always been in terms of looking at other people's religious ideologies and religious, uh, you know, affiliations and what other people believe and what you believe. I mean, was this always was this always like a hunger that you had, you know, since the earliest days? Uh, I should also give kind of the, the postscript that Rabbi Linder also grew up in uh, in South Florida, grew up uh, in Plantation near Fort Lauderdale. Um, you know the you know seemingly mecca of of Judaism in 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 the state of Florida. So I mean, was that was that something that you had since your childhood and your upbringing and your environment? Or yeah, I'm not. I don't think that specifically. Although I've always been fascinated and still am with um, how you know theology, how people believe in God, what people think about God or don't think about God. And, you know, I think of the comedian, I'm forgetting his name, the the, uh, the creator of the British office. Um, do you know his name offhand, Matt? Um, it's going to bother me. But uh, he has this co comedic bit where he talks about, you know, the 7 billion people on the planet and everyone thinks that everyone else's beliefs about God are wrong and that theirs are right. And so just th that idea that we all have these different beliefs is fascinating to me. Mm, Ricky Gervais. Thank you. Yeah. So, so when we, when we, when we, when we look at it, you know, the power and the impact that we know we can have on communities, right. Uh, you know, obviously being rabbis are, are, are specialties within Judaism, uh, but certainly looking at it from a wider context in terms of how we can bring others uh into our experience and look at the similarities, look at the differences um, in terms of interfaith communication and being together. Have you found have you found greater strength in Athens in terms of the ability and the um, and just the desire and the fervor in, in, to to engage in relationship and conversation? I, I have, and I think part of that is a difference a little bit it, between the the Midwest and the and the South, M and maybe I mean I, I don't know that I'm correct on this, but it's it's kind of anecdotal. But you know, in the South, sometimes when when you meet people, um, and South Florida, as you know, is not the South. <laughs> um, some you know people will say, "What church do you belong to?" Almost as kind of a, a get to know you question. It's almost like you know, what do you do for work? 
And mm. so um, it's very easy to feel like a minority. It, I mean, we're in the Bible Belt, even though Athens, Georgia is kind of a little bit different than the rest of you know the, the stereotypical South. And so for me, and I think for many in my community, it does create a, um, not an urgency, but certainly a desire to be like, let, you know, to get our names out there, so to speak. So, you know, the Jewish community every year, and unfortunately, like many other things that was canceled this year, puts on a Jewish film festival. And, and yeah. one of the things that's beautiful about it is it's not a temple event. It's a community event. And mm-hmm. there are non-Jews that are on its board and that, you know, help run it. And, and, and it's at a local community kind of art house movie theater. It's not, and, and the people that go to it are not only the members of synagogue and Hillel and things like that. So yeah. um, it, it really is, I think, and, and that's one of the things I, I really find powerful about this is it's not just my priority. I mean, you know, as rabbis, we all have things we, we love and maybe things that we don't love as much, but mm. that it's also so many, um, it's the priority of so many members of the congregation also. Oh, well. So, so looking at it from that perspective as well, in terms of, you know, doing a, I mean, we do much the same at Treasure Coast Jewish Film Festival, and we, uh, much like you, have had to cancel um, uh, everything. Yes. How, how has with COVID-19, how has that affected your community? Um, are there people, and obviously I know about, uh, uh, you know, confidentiality, but in terms of, are there people that you're aware of um, that have contracted it? Um, and and what, is, what is your role, how is your role as a rabbi um, um, of, 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 of a solo congregation, senior rabbi of a solo congregation, how has that, how has that shaped you now and how has the challenges of being on complete uh, and utter shutdown, how has that challenged you in ways, maybe it's been challenging, maybe it's been embracing of uh, being able to think out of the box. I mean, how does sure. that work and, for you? And I'd love, you know, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this too, because my, my sense is you and I are, are you know, in somewhat of a similar situation is, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, firstly, thank goodness for, for the internet and technology. I mean, if this would have happened 50 years ago, um, you know, it, 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 we wouldn't be able to conduct services. I mean, so mm-hmm. the, the short answer is in terms of temple programming, it's all moved to online. And so um, religious school, te- our religious school was going to end in the uh, second week of May, but religious school teachers are sending kind of packets of materials for kids. Um, I've been meeting with the confirmation students uh, on Sundays over Zoom, doing Shabbat services on Friday evenings over Zoom, um, adult ed classes as scheduled. Uh, But one of the things I've noticed, and I, I don't know if this has happened for you, is I've had more people on the Zoom services than typically actually come on a Friday night. Mm. And, yeah. you know, part of that may be convenience. I mean, it certainly is easy to kind of, you know, be in your home, you know, you, you could dress a little more informally and log on. But I, I do think during these times, I mean, I know I feel it is just a real desire to connect to people and just call friends and check in with people and say hi. And so, um, you know, people love, I've noticed on the Zoom services, people log on, 10 minutes early so they can see who else is there and chat with everyone and say Shabbat Shalom and all these things. And mm. um, people have really found that meaningful. You know, I, th- I think, I think it's interesting that the, the point you raised too about, you know, opening up, um, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, the Zoom opportunity. You know, we do the same and we do a lunch and learn once a month. Uh, and, we, and, you know, I decided instead of once a month, we're all at home anyway. Let's just do it every week. Um, yeah. And a lot of my monthly uh, sessions have now been taken to weekly sessions and bi-monthly conversion sessions. I mean, they're, they're every week. But there's something that you raised, which I think is really important, is that social aspect of, you know, let's have got a one o'clock, I'll turn it on at 10 to one. Uh, and then suddenly I've got 15, 20, 30, 40 people that have yep. logged on 10 minutes early just because they know, well, if the session starts at one or two or whatever time it is, if I get that little grace period 10 minutes before, um, I actually can converse and actually be interactive with somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. And what the one thing that I, and I commented on this a few weeks ago is, is there, there are some things that are happening from this that, that are wonderful. So you know, I'm sure this this is for you too, where, you know, my parents log on for services who live in Plantation, Florida, or, you know, a very dear friend of mine in New York who who doesn't belong to a synagogue. And so you, you and congregants, friends and family, or, or, you know, for Passover, we had all sorts of congregants uh, emailing me saying, can my parents join? And, you know, of course. And so we're, mm -hmm. we're getting our, our Athens community in some ways has expanded through virtual. And um, just to bounce off something you said, uh, kind of highlighting this this social piece is, um, I'm, I have a sense a lot of people are going to do it. It hasn't started yet, but in May, which I guess is just next week, um, I'm I'm gonna I'm doing uh, a, like a Zoom open office hours sort of thing where mm -hmm. you know I'll be on and people can come in and talk about serious things, just say hi, check in. And I have a feeling a lot of people are going to do that because, again, this kind of desire for connection and to see everybody. Which is so interesting. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's like that model, obviously, like you spoke, you know, like coffee side chats, right? Open up for, you know, every day from two to three, just log on. I'm here, you know, talk, uh, uh, you know, as you wish. Um, and, and just being really able to, 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 to see, to experience and really to be connected in some way. Have you found within your own community that given the challenges and the stresses and everything else that's going on right now, that the situation itself has, that there is that silver lining in some way? I know you, you just mentioned it previously in terms of those that are accessing um, virtual online services. And I think we see the same. You know, yeah. on average, we get, you know, 60, 70 people on a Friday night. Uh, but suddenly we're getting, you know, six, 700 views, 800 views of people watching our services. Um, we don't do quite the same like you. Uh, you know, Friday night we're Facebook Live. Uh, Saturday morning we'll do Zoom for Shabbat morning and for a tour study. Um, and I think part of that is um, um, quite actually, um, I think part of it is actually a, a deeply thought out. I mean, we could do it all on Zoom, even though I am not, and I do stress not technologically savvy. Uh, but I think for the Facebook is to enable those that uh, have the ability via Facebook. It's super easy. All you got to do is just literally go to the Temple Facebook page. And, and you know, if we stream live at six o'clock on Friday nights, you'll see it. If not it's eight o'clock, nine o'clock, you can always click on the video. And then, of course, from the flip side, to look at it from a Zoom perspective, for it being participatory and and, right. and 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 engaging, but have you found that that um, you know with this when this pandemic ends, uh, which of course time is 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 the elusive moment at this point, but um, when it does end, 
how do you think this will affect your community specifically? I mean, do you guys stream services regardless of COVID-19 or is no this is a brand new thing for us and in fact and I think you saw it um, when you visited when you visited us uh, last year we had we just finished a a major renovation of our sanctuary and social hall now thankfully we have been able to enjoy it that got finished um, for the high holidays last year but it's still pretty new for us Um, and we obviously haven't been in the building now for six weeks or so um, you know, my my concern is is just like in other religious communities, is older congregants who aren't necessarily technologically savvy and who aren't on the services. And so, um, I'm sure you you're doing this also. Is kind of once this started, I went through the directory and thought about you know who lives by themselves, who's older, who do I know. Um, that has some chronic health issues and just kind of listed them. And so making sure to check in with them. Um, we have a wonderful co- uh, committee, the Keshir Committee, which uh, means caring um, or connection really, uh, mm-hmm. um, that has also reached out to people. Um, but as this does continue for hopefully not too many more months, that, that's where my concern comes in. Is, you know, Also with our people now going to be struggling economically in, in addition to the, the possible fear of uh, health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I keep stressing the, the phrase, kol Yisrael arvim zebazet, each Israelite, each Jew is responsible for the other. And um, I think that is one of, you know, you asked about the differences between synagogues. I think that is one of the benefits of being in a smaller synagogue, especially ours, which is the only synagogue in Athens. Um, people are really connected to one another, and there re- there genuinely is that sense that we're we're going to take care of each other through this. Mm-hmm. So wonderful. So we're going to take a, a short break. Um, if you'd like to call in, the number is seven seven two 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 zero. 9788. I am joined with Rabbi Eric Linder from um, uh, a Temple in uh, Athens, Georgia. If you have any questions or any concerns, or really just want to know a little bit further as to how and what uh, religious communities and faith communities can do during this pandemic, uh, give us a call. Uh, and when we come back from break, we're, we're going to go a little bit deeper into into the whole gambit of um, the way our world is shaping and what we as as uh, religious um, uh, as, as as religious leaders of communities can do to try and keep people in uh, communication, in connection, and certainly uh, in relationship with one another. So, join us as we come back uh, in a few. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. 
on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And and I want to uh, let you know that I have uh, started a uh, YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know, of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor or someone to be there for you during a challenging time. And you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Welcome back, Stuart. Welcome back to a, uh, I guess today it's two dashing young rabbis speak. (laughs) Two rabbis walk into a radio station, or I should say uh, zoom into a radio station. So for those that are joining us, uh, welcome back. Uh, It is uh, Rabbi Durbin here with uh, my very good friend and close colleague and um, uh, friend, uh, Rabbi Eric Linder out of Athens, Georgia. And we're kind of talking about, you know, the whole situation, uh, certainly around America, certainly around the world in terms of, you know, what is our responsibility? What is our obligation? How do we go forward in a time that is uncharted and you know, for some, and I'll speak personally here, it's overwhelming and it's a little daunting in terms of what, what, what should we be doing and how can we make this transitional moment more pleasant for others uh, around? Um, you know, just to give a kind of brief, brief thing. So, so last night, yesterday was my wife's birthday. And, 40th, uh, you know, right? Yeah, so it's her, her big 40th. She turned 40 yesterday and you know, we couldn't really go anywhere. Um, so it was pretty much, you know, stayed at home. I made lunch. I made dinner. Uh, and and um, I got six buddies back home who uh, decided to do a Zoom, a, a, a virtual Zoom bar meeting last night at nine o'clock. Um, so we were talking for a while. And, and finally, somebody just kind of blurted out kind of the elephant in the room of it's quite amazing where we are in 2020. The fact that the entire world 
seemingly in the entire world, at least the Western world, uh, has completely shut down. You know, stores besides, you know, your average store. Look, you know, we know Publix and we know certain things are open um, in a limited way. But in, in the grand scheme of things, everything is pretty much shut down. You know, people are working from home. People are not going outside. Uh, you know, just something that in a million years, I don't think we could even ever even imagine or fathom that this could happen. And I think as we saw the transition, as I, I'm sure many of us did, you know, beginning of March, middle of March, and suddenly we go on to lockdown. We in Florida went to lockdown. I think we went like the last week of March, right? Our beaches are closed. Everything is, is, is seemingly closed. To be able to actually take a moment to sit back and reflect. And, and I think that there's something quite incredible of the whole fact that, that hundreds of millions of people are sharing in the same experience that we're going through right now. And I think communities and faith communities really are at the, at the crux of it in terms of how do we, how do we go forward? What, what are we doing? What, what do we do? I mean, when, when this all came to, you know, came, came to it, what was, you know, Rabbi Linder, from your perspective in your community, what was the responsibility put on you? Or was there? Was there a responsibility? Yeah, I mean, it, honestly, it's all a blur because we, my synagogue was, uh, 17 of us were in Israel just as this kind of became really serious. It's when, so we were in Israel just when travel stopped to Italy when, when things in Italy were getting bad. And um, there were a few people that were supposed to go to Israel with us that didn't because they were a little bit nervous about, about the situation as it was developing. Some were already in Europe and couldn't get to Israel. So this was all, we were already dealing with this. And um, my president was in Israel uh, as part of the trip, which was wonderful because he and I could just talk in real time. Um, so from Israel, we decided that the first thing was we're, we're not closing Temple yet. And this was in mid-March. Then two mm. days later, I mean, this is how fast this all happened. I mean, for all of us, we decided to temp close Temple for two weeks. And then the day after that, we realized there's no way it's only two weeks. Mm -hmm. So we decided to close through May 13th. And the reason May, May 13th is our annual meeting where people, okay. you know, 80 people or so come to Temple. And so... That was an important date to figure out, are we having the annual meeting in person or not? And mm -hmm. then after May 13th, we obviously have to decide that in the future. I think, you know, for me, when you talk about the responsibility, it's like, I think of um, what Donald Rumsfeld said about unknown unknowns. So it's the people that I haven't heard from that kind of, you know, make, you know, make me think of them. So people who aren't on the Zoom services that otherwise mm -hmm. come to Shabbat services pretty regularly. Um, and for some people, um, you know, I spoke to a congregant last night who's just not interested in, in the Zoom services. They want to kind of participate when things are normal. And, and I understand that. I mean, it is very different. We're not, we're not taking a Torah out. We don't have a minion mm -hmm. technically because we're not in person and, you know, all those things. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. I mean, you know, in, in terms of your, you know, we obviously have these restrictions. And, you know, even before we went on lockdown, 
you know, we would have services and we would make the, you know, we would make the notation as I'm sure you probably did too, that please be aware that our clergy will not be shaking hands or greeting people, this, that, the other. And then progress from there to suddenly no food at uh, what we call Oneg, uh, which is the the food that is after services. Um, I I think uh, my... um, I think our Christian colleagues call it fellowship that happened after, you know, just ways of, 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 of bringing in and still maintaining the joy and the sanctity of Shabbat. And Absolutely. I mean, I remember the, I think there was two weeks where we had services as normal, but did institute some of those restrictions. And I remember having a conversation um, with, with uh, the person uh, who, cl- who cleans our kitchen and gets everything set up of, you know, please wear a glove cut yeah. instead of people just grabbing the bread we're going to slice the bread um mm-hmm. but again it, it ha- all happened so fast there was two weeks of that and then you know we, ha- we had to close yeah you know we did the same i mean very much like that and then we moved to the beach because we thought it obviously was a big much more open space that we um and certainly through your experience growing up in florida you know there's there there's not many congregations that have the ability to uh, you know, either broadcast or or do stuff you know by the atlantic ocean uh nice. and then of course after after that, our governor decided to close the beaches. So you know, we we were kind of stuck. Um, and and you know, my my decision was I still want you know. So we stream our services via Facebook Live on Friday nights. And you know, I mean, I, I, as as I'm sure you've seen uh, with with a lot of our colleagues around the country and certainly around the world, uh, many are streaming their services from the um, from the confines of their own homes. Um, and I know with 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 my soloist, with um, with with uh, my uh, cantorial soloist Beth, uh, we decided to make the decision that uh, we will not broadcast from our homes. That we like consistency, and I think for a lot of our members, there's a lot of comfort in seeing the familiar sight of our sanctuary. To- uh, yeah, to- I I can totally understand that. Yeah, well, and, my- and, and I- and I think for some of our colleagues, I, I definitely get it. For those in the you know very large communities, it's very difficult to be in person, especially in some of the states that are um, hit really hard. Um, I, I definitely understand it. I think for me, uh, it would be my own, um, uh, and not to take it like the wrong way, it'd be my own personal hell um, trying to broadcast from my house and try and get my soloist from her house and others, you know, I, I, I'm sure something like that in terms of splicing it in and bringing it all together uh, for somebody that's technologically savvy would be uh, uh, a joy and a challenge. Uh, for me, it is it was something that I, I just didn't even want to deal with it. So you know, we went back to Temple, we broadcast in Temple. And I think that there's I think there's something there that connects people. I think it would be very different if we were doing it from our own homes. You know, I don't need to do a lunch and learn from the temple. I can do it from home. Right. And it's interesting. I actually was doing the first few services from home and then I switched to temple, but I can't do them in the sanctuary because we don't get internet in the sanctuary. And so it it just, you know, all these interesting challenges uh, that that we all have and trying to figure out what's the most meaningful, what's actually doable with the technology and everything like that. Yeah. So my question for you, Rabbi Linder, is, is, when this pandemic ends, do you feel, what are your thoughts on reacclimating back to society, bringing back some degree of normalcy? How do you see your community um, reacclimating back into the world? I mean, I mean, I've heard multiple things from other people, you know, some who think, 
you know, when this is over, you know, and obviously we know now that it's not okay. Uh, all 50 states go back to work, life resume as normal. We know that it's going to be incrementally spread out in terms of those most affected and those least affected. Yeah, in terms totally of to go back. But, you know, how, how does that look like for you? You know, because, you know, just for our listeners that may not be aware in terms of how services are done, say, within our communities, within the reformed Jewish communities, um, you know, our services start at 730 or uh, once a month at seven o'clock, you know, and, and, and I'm sure like you, uh, you know, we, we show up early and uh, for some of our members, even if maybe a 730 service, uh, they may show up at seven o'clock. 6.30 even, just to be able to get in. And, and I think that there's something social, which is very important that I think most people or some people, I should say, kind of sweep under the carpet that say, you know, the social aspect is not really Judaism. Judaism is the learning, the study, the growth, the community, the life, all that stuff. And I think social is so much a part of it. And we see it when people come oh, in and 100%. out. 100%. It's like, it's like that joke, which I'll tell very briefly of you know, two Jews, Matt, and I'll use our names, Matt and Eric come to services every week. And someone says, Matt, why do you go to services every week? And they say, um, do you know where I'm going with this, Matt? And they, mm-hmm. and, and Matt says, what do you mean? Why do I go to services? I go to pray to God. I go because it's a commandment. It's halacha. It's Jewish law. And then they say, okay, so Eric, why do you go to services? And I say, well, I go so I can see Matt. Yep. And most no, of true. those are equally valid. And I think sometimes we 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 undermine the social because it's just part of our human nature. And I think I think I, I mean I'll speak personally here. I'm I'm anxious and I'm actually a little nervous that when the pandemic ends, how will my behavior change? Mm-hmm. How will my approach change? Or will it not? I mean, even now, I shouldn't say now, but you know, let's let's go back a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, I'm sure like you, uh, we've had a couple bereavements in our congregation. We've had to do um, a few funerals that have been uh, literally funeral director and myself, uh, you know, family via Zoom or via other uh, social media platforms. Um, but, but, but a part of me that says, you know, the, the fact that that disconnect has been there, that distance, will that change in terms of when we go back? And even now, even with those funerals, you know, the funeral director will come up, oh, Rabbi, great to see you, put out his hand. Instinctively, I go out and shake. Whereas now, I think I'm a little bit more cautious. Yeah, I think, I I think, I I agree with you. I think, first of all, I I completely do think that it's not going to be like a moment where, okay, we're all back. It, Mm -hmm. It is going to be a gradual and uh, increase of you know normalcy let's say and i i do think that there'll be more of a at least a thought put in of you know and for us kissing the torah when it's paraded shaking hands at the oneg at the you know the fellowship afterwards um you know i i do wonder how um how things might change in terms of what you know what it looks like to be a rabbi in in this reality um you know, I don't know if you've had to reschedule anything, but we, you know, being a small synagogue, we have about six to eight bar bat mitzvah a year. And for those uh, mm-hmm. who are listening, a bar mitzvah is basically is a huge life cycle event for a 13 year old where they leave the service. They read from the Torah. Um, family flies in from all over. I mean, it's a huge event in, in, the, in the life of the family. And we've already rescheduled three of them. 
And mm. what I'm starting to be concerned about is if this continues for, I mean, God forbid, but six months longer, yeah. it, it almost becomes not, it almost becomes so that we can't reschedule them and they'll need to be over soon. And so, yeah. you know, right now it's easy to reschedule. We only have six or eight a year. Um, but, you know, once, once, once it gets too late, it's, it, it's almost not, it's not feasible to do that. And so, um, so yeah, interesting, I think people- interesting thing that you just raised, I think it's actually, I, I, I think it's fascinating in terms of a lot of the customs, <laughs> customs and the rituals that we as Jews uh, do throughout our services. And just for those that have never um, had the opportunity to see, you know, a Jewish service, you know, obviously, you know, uh, uh, you are more than welcome to join us or, you know, a Rabbi Linder's if you're in Athens. You're, you know, you're invited. <laughs> virtually join um, uh, Rabbi Linder's community. But, you know, the, the thought of, um, and, and just to give people a little bit of background, you know, with Shabbat morning, when we do a Torah service, what we're really doing is we're reenacting, right? We're reenacting that, that, that time in our biblical history. And I think that there's something really powerful because we have this point in our service, it's part of the Torah service called the Hakatha, which Rabbi Linder just mentioned in terms of the, the procession, the parading around with the Torah just before the, the, the reading of the Torah happens. And customarily and uh, uh, traditionally, you know, Jews would either kiss their prayer book and place it on the Torah and then, um, you know, put it back on their lips or they'd kiss their hand or even kiss the Torah itself. And, and when we go back to normalcy, what happens? Do we advise our communities as we parade around the Torah, uh, just as a sign of respect and endearment, if we could bow? I mean, you know, how 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 are we going to reframe and reshape what we do, or is it is it not even worth doing? And just saying, well, we're 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 back to, you know, we're back to November of two thousand nineteen or December, right? I mean, for me, I think part of it is I'm I'm gonna. Fine, just like we're doing right now. I mean, you and I talk to each other, you know, once or twice a week just to kind of mm-hmm. check in and see what we're up to. Is we're going to find out what other colleagues are doing or thinking about. And I mean, I, I don't know if you saw this post with, with the um, so Matt and I are members of what uh, the CCAR Central Conference of American Rabbis, that's our professional organization. And we have a private Facebook group where, where people post questions and concerns. And one of the latest ones was during these Zoom services. So let me back up a bit. I'm sorry. We have a few prayers where, just like in other religions, where you stand. But with Zoom, that creates that creates a, a very um, a practical challenge for some, depending, like, uh, I might have my guitar for some things. And if I stand, people can't see me. And it's not, it's not feasible. And mm. so what are you doing with these prayers that we're supposed to stand, but we're sitting down for And so there's all of these new realities, not just, and I think that you said it perfectly, not just in terms of how this is affecting our daily lives, but how is this affecting our actual rituals that, you know, to a certain extent, you know, like shaking hands, we do on almost a subconscious basis. Mm-hmm. And, and just to kind of explore that a little bit further in terms of, you know, personally, um, as opposed to professionally, you know, how has this impacted? Because, you know, we're looking at it now in terms of, uh, and I'll look at it from my, my, my house as well as I'm, I'm sure your house. You know, my house now is not only a house that I have three kids and a wife. It's now my office. It's now my synagogue. It's now my sanctuary. It now yes. is, you know, where do we I'm find- I'm vehemently we, nodding. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's interesting because how do we find that, that, that space that takes us out of 
the rigors of daily life. You know, the home has always been that 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 concept of inner peace and sanctum and 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 and, and however you 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 make your home um, the ability to unwind. But suddenly, our homes now are being split into quadrants that say. This is for work. This is for community. This is for my family. This is for personal time. I mean, how do you, how do you as a rabbi, um, especially during this, this kind of coronavirus and this, this, this craziness that's happened around the world, how do you yeah. find, and, and obviously a, a, a very pregnant wife that, um, um yeah, well, I was about is, to is say pregnant. that. That's right. Yeah, it's, I mean, we're do. in some ways, I, I don't want to, lucky is not the right word. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely have a, a feeling of empathy for families like you. Um, and of course, you love your children. But, you know, the idea of being home with kids where they need to be outside, they need to be with friends, they need to be kind of intellectually and physically engaged in all those things. I mean, that is really hard for you. And so yeah. to, to figure out work and leading a community amongst that i mean that just that seems incredibly difficult to me and i i i, I, I you you and other people who have kids that are at home have have my greatest respect right, right now and i mean emily and i were joking um you know she's eight months pregnant right now that uh you know in in some ways it the timing is is in in some ways it's good um you know i mean where it, it would be very difficult to to for us to be kind yeah. of raising a child in this environment. But one thing that I think um, our profession helps us with, at least me, is, you know, I think that the line between, um, you know, home, personal, family, and work is, 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 is blurred. And in some yeah. ways, it's beautifully blurred. You know, the temple is an extension of my family and, and all of those interesting combinations. Now, that's not to say that boundaries aren't important and we do need to practice self-care and all of those things, 100%. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I did those. So, so from a personal perspective, how do you how do, you do self-care amidst all this craziness? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we have two dogs, and so walking our dogs has been a thing um, mm. that we've done. And and I, you know, we'll go for an hour for for a mile or so, and I either will uh, I'll take my phone with me, but I mm -hmm. won't respond to texts. I mean, I'll be back in an hour, right? So it's yeah. it's like I don't need to be constantly, and I am, as you know, kind of mm -hmm. a geek, and I love my electronics and everything, but. Um, if I'm walking with my wife and the dogs or making dinner or something, I don't need to look at it. And, you know, if, if God forbid there's an emergency, someone will call and I'll pick up the phone. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think, I, I think things like that help. And, um, you know, it, it also helps uh, to have, uh, and I, I know we, we both know this to be true is, is congregational leaders who, who are partners with us through this. I mean, we are, are in some ways we are all going through the same thing and every profession has had to kind of reinvent themselves. Yeah. Um, and so kind of sharing amongst each other is, is also a form of self-care. Mm -hmm. And, and in, in, in terms of, in terms of, um, you know, going back or, 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 you know, re-entering back into society in terms of when we'll, when we'll hopefully get there. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenges impeding um, our, our going back to normalcy? 
from a from a say from a from a community perspective? Well, I I can imagine that some congregants who you know who have health concerns and who are older may have, and rightfully so, hesitation about kind of going back. And because we're not set up for streaming, I mean, it's something I'm already thinking about. People have gotten used to that. And once we get back in the synagogue, um, or in the sanctuary rather, um, as of now, there, you know, that's where our services are. There's no plans for streaming. And so I, I can imagine even a younger family saying, you know, my, my child is sick, so we can't go to services tonight. Can we stream? Like we like we've done for the last three months, um, and that might be uh, an unwelcome change actually for some in, in some in some manner. Yeah, but I don't know what the biggest. I, I I don't know what the big. In some ways, it's one of those things that I think we're gonna have to experience. Do you have a thought on that? You know, I I, I spent a lot of time thinking about you know as we as we reacclimate and go back in. What what for me I think is the biggest challenge is. I don't want to lose the intimacy that we've that we've worked so hard for, as I'm sure your community and many Jewish communities um, pride themselves on being a warm and a welcoming nature. And I'm fearful that when we reacclimate back, that there may be some distance that is put forward between um, the community and those that are seeking it. Uh, I, I think it's the intimacy. Uh, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm nervous that if I go in for the handshake when things are all fine, that somebody may say, you know, Rabbi, you know, please, I, I'm just not comfortable. Well, sure. three months ago, you were comfortable. And I get the scare and I get the fact that we're anxious and we're overly cautious as we, as we should be. But I, my, my fear is losing that connection to spirituality, the connection to my community, the connection to my leaders who run the run, run the congregation uh, that's my fear is that is that we're going to put um we're going to put almost like a veil between ourselves and others i Got think that's it. my fear i mean one of the things i've been i've been saying to the congregation in various sermons and things is you know first of all as reformed jews not only are we used to change but it's part of our very nature like we're constantly reforming things and so um in like things will be different, but that I would like to believe that that doesn't necessarily mean things will be worse. They'll just be different. And so Mm -hmm. I, I would think of it as just kind of reframing what intimacy might mean. Like it might not be physical. It might not be hugging, you know, hugging people that aren't your family or, or things like that, but that, that it's a different kind of intimacy. But I do, as someone who is physical, I, I am a hugger, I am a handshaker. I, I, you know, I think I'm thinking about those things too, for sure. Absolutely. So um, uh, we are running out of time. So I just wanted to uh, uh, thank very much um, Rabbi Linder for joining us this morning. Uh, I think you've given both uh, myself and hopefully the listeners, you know, a little bit of perspective and a little bit of um, deep thought and uh uh, you know, something to take away on, on, on this weekend as we, as, as Jews, we go through Shabbat tonight and uh, certainly tomorrow um, as we reflect, especially with our uh, Christian brothers and sisters who uh, will celebrate on Sunday, you know, just this, this, this moment that really brings us together as a community. So I hope you'll join That's us right. for it, please. There is, there is strength in community and um, we are here at, uh, at all times for you. Amen. Amen.